about six months now, or no, far longer than that, over a year, and uh, yet yeah, we're still on Acts 4. So, um, and so basically what's happened so far is that Peter and John have just prayed for a lame man and on the way into the temple and he was healed. And then they did a lot of talking about Jesus and they caused a disturbance amongst the people of the law, the priests and the captain of the temple guard. Um, and so, I sound a bit funny. They were, anyway, I'll carry on. They were put in jail. And so that's what's just happened before we get to this point in the um, passage where the priests are trying to figure out what on earth to do with these people that are causing a disturbance and they're not very comfortable with it. So let me pray and then um, we will read the passage. Father, thank you um, for this bit in Acts. It's so wonderful to um, hear um, and to be, yeah, be disturbed by um, you and by what you're doing through Peter and John. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that as we, as we look at this passage, that you would um, give us a fresh revelation of who you are in your name. Amen. So um, if you've got a Bible, it is page 1095. Um, and we're looking at Acts 4, starting at verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Cyphus, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. 
for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So there we go. Peter and John are pretty bold. Um, And the title of this talk is Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. And when when Andy asked me to speak on this passage, he was like, Diz, I've got the perfect passage for you. It's about being unschooled and ordinary. I was like, (laughs) harsh? Thanks. Thanks, Andy. But seriously, um, it, it is actually such a great passage for me, and Andy knows my story probably better than myself, and he's the right that is a brilliant one for me to talk about. Um, so the first thing that struck me when I was reading this passage is that Peter and John weren't doing it in their own strength. They didn't at any point try to claim that they were the ones that healed the lame man. At every opportunity, they pointed to Jesus, and they said, it's him, I can't. I can't deny that Jesus is the one that's done it. They gave him all the glory. And before summer, when Andy was teaching on the, on the actual event, the actual healing, he was talking about the freedom that we can feel knowing that it's not in our strength. We don't do it on our own. We're not trying to heal people ourselves. The responsibility isn't on us. It's on Jesus. And there's so much that holds me back from feeling confident to pray for people and to share my faith with friends. Things like, what if God doesn't heal them? What if Jesus doesn't meet with them? But actually, that's no reason for me not to do it because it's not, it's not me doing the work. It's God doing the work. It's not on me. I shouldn't feel like I'm in control and it's my fault if he hasn't. Um, And the writer makes a point of saying in verse 8 that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's so cool that they make that point of saying that Peter's filled with the Spirit. So he's got the the power of the Holy Spirit in him, indicating that he wasn't speaking or acting in his own strength. And the words that come out of Peter's mouth in the following verses are unbelievably bold and provocative, aren't they? Like speaking to the to the priests, saying it's all about Jesus and salvation is found in no one else. It's it's found in Jesus alone. Peter's not gonna budge when he's talking about when he's talking about Jesus and that yeah, salvation is in him. And it's so obvious that you know, Peter clearly had that, that power um, of the Holy Spirit to give him the boldness and the courage. And the great news is that we can have it too. Um, Christians today, um, we have the same power. The same power lives in us. And if we continually seek his face and ask him to fill us with his spirit, we too can have that same passion and that same confidence that Peter and John had. We don't have to bring Jesus, bring people to Jesus in our own power. We can ask him to give us the confidence and the passion to share our faith and remember that the onus is on Jesus to reveal himself to people. What excellent news. You might be thinking, okay, let's go home now. That's great. We got the power. Or you might be thinking you want to dismiss it because... They were Jesus' disciples. Of course they had the power. They spent loads of time with him. They're basically vicars. They probably had a theology degree. But no, 
the passage goes on to say in verse 13 that Peter and John were unschooled and ordinary. Peter and John were fishermen. I like my slides. I love emojis, so it helps me to... Uh... <laughs> Peter and John were fishermen, and they had zero theological training, which would have been highly, highly irritating for the priests who would have spent their whole lives studying the scriptures. And in fact, the disciples weren't the only people that God used who were ordinary people. All through scripture, we see that God worked in extraordinary ways through ordinary people. And they've helpfully been put into a nice little list for me, which I know Mike Pilavarchi uses quite a lot on his social media. And here it is. <coughs> Sorry, I feel like I need a bit of water. Anyone? Thank you, Sam. Thanks. Um, here we go. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stutter. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a flirt. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Thank you. Isaiah preached naked. (laughs) 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 I'm not going to do that, don't worry. Jonah ran from God. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Jesus. The disciples fell asleep while praying. The Samaritan woman was divorced and a sex addict. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. (laughs) (coughs) And we could quite easily dismiss that too and say, yeah, but they were in the Bible days. God wouldn't use ordinary people now, would he? But again, (coughs) not true. There are countless examples of God doing extraordinary things with with ordinary people, even in our culture today. (coughs) And actually, just looking around the room, many of these people are you guys doing extraordinary things with God's power. Um, But I'm not going to start a list because... I'll miss someone out, and it's very dangerous to start this. <laughs> but instead, let me share a little story from um, which I've heard um, Nikki Gumbles talk about on Alpha before, and it's in a little lovely clip for me. And I'll drink some more water whilst we watch it. And Nikki goes on to say that we don't all have, we might not all become Billy Grahams, but what we can is all be Albert McMakin. We can all be that person who says, come and drive a truck. (laughs) Come along and see. Come and see what this Christian faith is about. Come Come to church and have a look. And there's another example of an ordinary person that God has done extraordinary things through. And that's Danielle Strickland, Danielle Strickland, and some of you may have heard her at conferences um, before. She has preached to millions of people around the world, um, and I just found out that this is how she met Jesus.
Isn't that awesome? And God, um, in the same way that he uses these ordinary people to do extraordinary things, he can use us too, which is so great. But these people are special. They have more confidence. They're more sociable. They're older. They're younger. They're funnier. For a long time, I've had this narrative that I battle with, that I'm not good enough. I didn't do that well at school. I don't have a degree. I got married pretty young. I had kids pretty young. And instead, so often, instead of embracing and enjoying all these amazing gifts and opportunities that God's given me, I'd be gripped with this narrative that I'm not good enough. I'm too young. I don't have enough life experience. I'm not good enough to be Andy's wife. I'm not good enough for these kids to be their mum. And then God (laughs) says to me, hey, you know you've always dreamt of planting church with Andy. Well, now's the time. And I'm like, oh, God. God, I got nothing. This is, I'm not good enough. But yet, I'm so desperate to know people, to to, um, share Jesus with people. I'm so desperate to see people know the love of Jesus like I do. But God, you've got to help me because I've got nothing and I'm just an empty vessel. So it's got to be in your strength, God. And we've made it a year of leading this plant together and Andy and I haven't killed each other yet. So, (laughs) Um, But if you've been journeying with us over the past year, you'll also have noticed that I haven't once preached. Um, And this isn't because Andy hasn't asked me to preach, because he has several times. But yet again, that narrative of, I'm not good enough, I'm just not good enough, comes back again and again. And having Andy as a husband is both a blessing, a lot of, and mostly a blessing. (laughs) (laughs) But also a curse when it comes to preaching, because I can just say, yeah, but Andy, you're so good at it, why don't you just do it? You're the vicar, and so he does. (laughs) But I was um, sitting at Focus, um, which for those of you who don't know what Focus is, it's like a Christian festival, and we were there with many of you in the summer, and I was listening to um, a lady preach called Miriam Swaffield, and um, Miriam Swaffield is like the most dynamic with both her body and her voice, preacher she has so much confidence and I sat there and I was like I am never gonna have that confidence and I am never gonna have that enthusiasm that Miriam (laughs) Swaffield has so maybe I just shouldn't bother and then at that moment slightly comically um, a picture of a big fish popped into my head and God was being like God said to me Dizzy I think you're being a bit like Jonah I think you're trying to run away from what I'm asking you to do. And um, at that moment, I was like, oh. So here I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I've learned over the years that, and I continue to learn, it's still a battle. That as that narrative pops in to say hello, I need to speak God's truth over myself and know that I am good enough and that we are all good enough. And back in May... I was at a women's conference with some of the ladies here and um, 
one of the preachers were talking about God taking our ordinary and our empty and doing extraordinary things and bringing joy. And um, the passage used was the message version of Romans 12, in verse 1 to 2, and it really challenged me, so I'm going to read it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So it's out of this place of emptiness that God can move. We all have the qualifications needed to share the gospel and be Jesus' hands and feet in Felton, even me. Um, And then the last thing that struck me about this passage in Acts was verse 20. After the priest had literally just told them not to speak about Jesus again, Peter and John say, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Wow, this pretty bold. Peter and John were so obedient to God and so passionate that they were willing to cause a disturbance. They were willing to stir things up. And Jesus had caused a disturbance in them, in their hearts, for the people around them and for their culture. And I find it so easy to become desensitized to our culture and to what's going on in the world around me. And I need God to break my heart again and again for what breaks his and then actually do something about it out of an overflow because I can't help but share the good news of what Jesus has done in me, that Jesus has set me free and in him I can live life to the full knowing that I am good enough. And that's not to say that we all have to become street evangelists, although hats off to you if you're up for it. <laughs> but in our everyday conversations with friends and family, and we've got the perfect, the perfect opportunity with Alpha starting to say, hey, come and check it out. Come and see what it's about. We can be the Albert McMakin and say, just come and see. Um, yeah, and you get free food. So come. <laughs> or it might be that you're praying for Felton and you ask God, what difference can I make? Put something on my heart, Lord. Um, now I'm going to be bold here and ask for your accountability. Um, but God, over the last sort of few months, has been putting a heart for young mums on me, even younger mums than me. Um, not that I'm a young mum anymore. But when I first became a mum, I felt like I was young. Anyway, (laughs) so over the next few weeks and months, I'd love you to all keep me accountable and be like, hey, you know that that thing that God's put on your heart? Because I want to do something about it. I want to to ask God how I can be Jesus' hands and feet to those young mums. So watch this space. And don't think that single-handedly you have to change the world, save the world on your own. Um, Just start small 
and ask God for one thing or one group of people that you want to share Jesus with. Or invite someone to church on the 29th um, for our Tri Church Sunday, and I promise that Andy will be on his best behaviour with no mention of farts. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It will just be church as normal. Um, but it's just a, a good opportunity with Alpha starting a couple of days later for them to come and see what church is about and then to explore the Christian faith a bit more if they want to do that. So let's ask the Lord now to show us where we can be Jesus' hands and feet, to take this empty vessel that we can offer. And if you're not up for it, then that's fine, because God will just use someone else. But I can honestly say from the glimpses that he has used me in my life, the small ways he's used me, you won't regret saying yes. It is the most life-giving adventure imaginable. So we don't have to do it in our own strength. Nothing disqualifies us, and we can't help but share that Jesus Christ died on the cross to set us free so that we can live life to the full. And all we have to do is say, yes, God, use me. That's it. Shall we stand? We're going to pray. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come.